0: Welcome to the Delta Flyers with Robbie and myself. And this week's guest is none other than Mr. John Billingsley. Welcome, John.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me. So yeah. good to have you. And you and your books. I see books a lot. Oh, of there's all my you. goodness. Yes. I'm thrilled. With your life,
3: I'm jealous of your yes.
0: library. I'm going to ask you right off the bat: How do you categorize, or how do you, you know, sort uh, range your I, books? I, how do you arrange them?
3: this is the room that runs from B to I for the okay. fiction. <laughs> for However, fiction, this is fiction. fiction? Okay. Yes, I have. I, I back in the day, I think I've got about fifteen thousand books. So, okay. oh my, it's really God. a sick. Some people are heroin addicts. Some yes. people are gamblers. Some people are. I just wanted to live in a library. My
0: you do. You have the Billingsley Home Library, I, I, which is I, bigger than most. I'm more I have a to
2: question to when you say that you want to live in a library. So yeah. I, when I was young, we moved a lot when I was young. Yeah. Every couple of years we were moving. Me too. And so I was very, I was very much a lone wolf when I was a kid, yep. you know, because I was, I just didn't seem to fit in. I was always the new kid and I would spend My lunches, anytime I had free time, if I got to school early, I'd go to the library.
3: Yeah. I used to cut school, go to the library, and I call my mother and say, I I just I wasn't in the mood. And she would, (laughs) you know, she would, of course, you know, the token protestation, it's like you can't, all right, I'll come pick you up. She'd come pick me up. We'd spend the whole day in the library. Oh, eyebrows. They had when I grew up, they had a living room was floor to ceiling books, the whole room. And I would sit at the base of that bookshelf. And I I didn't quite understand the concept of reading, but it was aspirational. It was like, these books are totemic. One Mm. day, I am going to enjoy them the way I see my parents enjoy them.
2: Wow, that's beautiful. Well, it looks like you do enjoy it. For those just listening, John has so many books behind him. It looks like a bookstore. There's
3: there's so many. That's one room. I also have an extraordinarily patient wife who is willing (laughs) to Uh, I have to say, she initially, when we married, said, as long as they're not, you know, piled up on the floor. Now it's like, as long as they're not on my side of the bed. Here's one thing I'll say,
2: John, that I've learned yeah. with that many books, with as many books as you have, don't move. Because moving the books <laughs> is one of the biggest, of all the um, things, hey, and I've moved oh yeah. a few times the last few years. Oh yeah, The books are the biggest pain in the butt it's a leather last, last
3: move was from Silver Lake here and that nearly killed me. And we've been <laughs> 23 years and they're going to have to, you know, take me yeah. out. Yeah.
2: You're so, done. You the books have anchored you now. You're you yeah, can't move. Yeah.
3: If we had all the time in the world, I'd tell you a story about moving my books down from Seattle that uh, that nearly killed some people. I bet. Ah! With that with that I, many books, I bet I no, I was in a U-Haul and and you God. know and it's a big U-Haul and you know, I was getting off the freeway and i i i exited and i was in the right hand lane i wanted to merge in the left hand lane yeah. so i was off the freeway to take a left and i signaled and i looked in the mirror and there was a, a like a mac truck was in the left lane and they were scared and they swerved and they went like ass over teacup like in, and i thought what the
0: f- have i done oh my god oh my god because you started you started making I, yeah, this the the lane yeah, change well, and, I, as, I and then you shoulder the checked. i signaled it
3: oh god the, so anyway i pulled over a crowd gathered out of the cab of this you know gargantuan truck 18 wheeler yeah. Scott Bakula
0: it, came out of that Scott truck? Scott Bakula no. and Jolene
3: oh. Laylock. That, that, that is the best story we've ever That's had.
2: That is the best story we've ever, ever had on this podcast. Not true. Uh, no. no, but out of that out?
3: cab, two 18-year-olds. They had jo- oh. they, a kid stole his dad's Mack truck for a joyride. Oh, ride. My. oh my gosh. So I waited for the cops, and I explained the situation, and people uh, said, oh, no, no, you you were just, you just, this truck was barreling off the freeway. Wow. And wow. So, yeah. And with, with all your books in the back, that
2: would have been the, tragic. The, I mean, it would have been sad of- to, yeah, it would be sad to have lost you, but
3: the yeah, books. I, I was safe. Uh, the okay. books, i um, a little tussled, but okay. um, I and was if the,
0: that these two kids didn't oh, get it. Yeah, but yeah. you're so lucky that that was, first of all, what if that was somebody with a full load of merchandise that completely got, you know what I'm saying? This wasn't a regular tr- uh, truck driver. This was the kid stealing it from yeah, his dad. Well, so and at that's...
3: first I thought I was responsible because I thought, you know, what, what, I mean, I, I was like, I, I didn't change lanes. I, did, I yeah. But you know, in, in the moment, yeah, what, in in know, the guys, what did I do? So, I must have, I
0: must yeah. have, yeah, yeah, it's I'm not your somewhere. fault. It wasn't your fault, definitely. But yes. still, it, it it's also a relief to know that there was no merchandise ruined, in, no one's lives were, a, you know. Being a
3: Taurus, I don't consider anything my fault, which is, as we were talking before, do on air. It's one of the wonderful qualities of
0: Taurians. It's like, yes. uh-huh. When is your birthday? May twenty. We are the ideal triumvirate. Check it out, Robbie. He's Rat, your dragon. 1960 Rat, 1964 Dragon, 1968 Monkey. These are the ideal compatible signs in the, these three. So wow. I said, if we were to collaborate on a project, so you direct and I act with John, okay, okay. this will it. be a blockbuster. This thing would be, we would knock it out of the, uh, out of the Really? Park. Yes. Well, well, this is right. the
3: best. Don't even really need a
0: script. I we mean, don't even need it. No, it, no. It, no, it, no it, we just, it, we improvise yeah. everything, Robbie. Everything's the going to be a
3: dragon.
2: It's yes. going to be a movie about a guy moving from Seattle.
0: Seattle. In a, and uh,
2: how an accident <laughs> that's not his fault changed his entire changes life. his life. Yeah. That's what go. it's going to
3: be about. It's I done. was just going out with Bonnie at the time, and I I find by the way when I do an interview, it's usually just one question suffices for the, the entire interview. <laughs> yeah. So we're done. We're done. That's how <laughs> good our it, signs it, are. are. We we, we don't need fit, to do. We it don't anymore. even need. <laughs> I called Bonnie that day. It was like
1: ah,
3: ah, 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 ah. It Oh was yeah. Early on in our relationship. Oh about, God. Wow. But honey, will you visit me in prison? I mean, no, we haven't been together very long, but
0: yeah. Were were either the vagrant boys injured in the accident? Were they okay? No, no. And it took me a while, of course,
3: to piece this together. I, yeah. I the cops had just stick around and they out of the cab and they were interviewed yeah. and the cop came over and said, Okay, so here's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Go home, you're fine, you have no, you know, culpability. No responsibility. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Wow. All what right. So going back to the
2: books, because that's what I'm obsessed <laughs> with your background.
0: Lie down in Lie Down in Darkness.
3: William Styron's first novel. Kind that of looks written,
2: like oh. a collectible of some sort.
3: Not necessarily. No. It's uh, it was his first novel written in nineteen fifty one. He wrote Sophie's Choice, you know, one of mm-hmm. the great American novelists. Only wrote four or five books, four or five novels. Oh. This was his first one had absorbed a lot of Faulkner. I'm a big Faulkner fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but having said that, when you read a great novelist's virgin work, it's still like, wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. I'm a great fiction reader. That's sort of my, I read a lot of fiction and nonfiction, but primarily I'm a, a lover of fiction.
2: I want to get to Born and all that, but the books keep, the book questions keep coming. What kind of fiction? Is it American authors? Is it European? Is it, is it, international
3: all all over the map i mean i'm probably you know not as uh well versed in um, european fiction in part because the tiniest slice of world fiction gets translated into english yes candor um but having said that no i i um you know cover the waterfront for the most part as i'm a fairly slow reader uh, actually so it's not as if i've read everything in the world Mm -hmm. i just like to always be reading something.
0: Mm-hmm. So, great. great. Both you and Robbie are very similar in that regard. You read a lot or are always constantly reading something. And so what I wanted to add is that I know you guys read a lot when you were young. Did either of you do this? There was one year in high school where I didn't even go to the lunchroom. All my lunches were in the library for that whole year. Oh wow. I net. So that's yeah. that was my contribution to that to the book. Uh, yeah i would go
2: to the library at lunch and my library my high school library um you know they would have the books and then they'd have magazines and newspaper subscriptions and they would always get the chicago tribune sunday times in my high school why chicago i grew up in atlanta yeah why chicago and not the new york times or washington you know some other paper but chicago tribune and I would read the Chicago news. And so in my mind, I was going to Chicago. Like yeah. I knew Chicago. I knew the theater scene there. I knew mm. the sports. I knew wow. the politics. I was Is that obsessed you with started Chicago. Off?
3: Did you start off in Chicago?
2: I wanted to. No. Instead, no. I, I went I to New York. I tried to
3: start off in Chicago myself. Oh, but
2: yeah. Wow. Couldn't hack it. Yeah, couldn't have. It's cold. It's very cold.
0: Yeah. It's
3: cold. He went to New York. Hot. It's yeah. like, it's, you know, there's like, where's the fall? Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is none. There is there is no fall. Well, okay. Are we ready to jump into the let's the nitty- go into our yeah, life go. story and see yeah. where that yeah. exists. Yeah. Born in Pennsylvania,
3: correct? In Pennsylvania, they didn't yep. stick around long. Media, Pennsylvania. My dad worked for GE. He. My was, dad worked for GE too. What capacity? He was in the
2: information services. Your dad and my dad were the same dad. Holy. Oh shit. Oh my god, that would be incredible. Now that's the movie we would make. There's the movie. We did a podcast. Then then I get to direct that. Can I direct that? This This is your two with My father worked for General Electric Information Services. So the computer division of GE. And he dealt with customer. Yeah, it was customer service. So he would go out to companies that back then uh, you couldn't buy computers for your business. So you rented time and, and information help from GE that had these giant mainframes if you wanted to crunch data or or store data you know your all, all kinds of things you'd use GE's computers or IBM's or mm-hmm. you know some of these big companies That's my father
3: my who was gay got to hire a young toothsome male morsels and place them in various training programs all over the country Wow! What, what? Heavenly, heavenly job for my father he started actually uh, moving around the country back when nasa was in the middle of the you know the, their their big push for mm. moonshot so we were in huntsville alabama Slidell, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. eventually moved to southern connecticut which was culture shock because i
0: taught like this <laughs> how many years were you in uh, huntsville and slidell how, long, how many years was that well, oh. actually we
3: we started Pennsylvania, Schenectady, New York, Fayetteville, New York, moved to Huntsville when I would have been four, was in Huntsville till I was six, Louisiana till I was eight-ish. Okay.
0: Yeah. So so that southern accent was already ingrained in you when you moved to uh uh Connecticut at that point.
3: Yeah, and a lisp. I oh no. I was a southern lisp. I was a was southern boy as a frail southern boy with a lisp.
2: <laughs> to hear all your moves as a young child. And your dad worked for GE. That's exactly my life. My dad worked for GE and we moved, you know, every couple of years. We were okay, gay. Uh, my father was not gay that I know of. No.
3: Okay. That's so. where our roads divide.
2: It's a miracle I'm here. So your father was gay. Was he out of the closet or was he no. still married to your mother? When did that
3: you no, know, it's for all the things that are f-ed up about the world, and for everything that makes you want to tear your hair out these days. I do sometimes think we don't really have enough historical perspective. We don't remember what it was like to live in a world in which you simply could not be. You could yeah. not be. My father was a deeply closeted gay man because there was simply no way that you could be anything other than that in the 50s and 60s. Right.
1: Yeah,
3: he uh, he was in the navy. He got out of the Navy. He went to college, Antioch. He met my mother, who was eight years older, who had a PhD in behavioral psychology. My mm. dad was like a left behind the ears, Oki. They mm. married very quickly. Early on in the relationship, my mother caught my father ogling a gas station attendant and said, "Um, are you attracted to him? And he said, well, yeah. Oh, wow! wow. And they stayed together. And wow, they my goodness. As far As I know they had sex twice and had two children. So, you know, <laughs> it is truly a miracle. But idea. you're
2: absolutely right like the historical perspective because I remember I'm 4 years Until young.
3: Stonewall, I mean, forget yeah. about
2: it. Yeah. I remember growing up in Atlanta my my junior high and high school years because I was getting involved in the theater. I knew a lot of uh a lot of gay men and you know closeted the, gay men. Closeted yeah. it was it, the the way that that issue was dealt with in your life was so different. It was yeah. it was a secret. It yeah. was something that you really didn't you know you didn't share with many people, if at
0: all. And right. you, but it wasn't I mean, it wasn't guys. It wasn't just. You know, oh, I, I'm not. I'm going to keep this a secret. If you came out back in the day of his father, you lose your social life, your business, life, every part of your life is now Horrible. done. Is is you know? I, I mean, it was so bad back then. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely.
3: Um, <laughs> no, my in subsequent years. I mean, I didn't know my father was gay until my mother passed away. Um, really wow. odd story. My first wife, a wonderful woman named Janet Freiberger. She had cause to visit San Diego. My mother had passed away. They lived in Seattle. My dad relocated to San Diego. My wife at the time was in San Diego on business. Even though they didn't particularly get along, she thought, Oh, I should be courteous. I'll see John's dad. My dad at the time was was dating a Marine. They all went out to dinner. The Marine got pie-eyed, and at the bar next to Janet said, Ah, Bill, you know? Ah oh um, wow my wife comes home and says um john did you know that your dad was gay it was like oh, wow oh it's like the penny dropped. it's like wow. everything made sense so much made sense i later found out from my older brother that in fact he had found a stash of my dad's gay pornography when he was a teenager that he'd wow. hit in a filing cabinet. It that he never
0: shared things. with you? as never a... shared
3: with me. Wow. And explained a lot about why my brother and my father had an estrangement that lasted until he died.
0: Oh, my wow. goodness.
3: This, this, actually, I don't know why, I just, just have it at hand, Lie Down in Darkness, is uh, an interesting book. But a lot of it is about these buried family secrets. And, uh, you know, yeah. every, every family has odd ones. Um <sighs> Wow. Huh.
2: I it's funny you use the term family secrets because one of my favorite podcasts, and here we are in our podcast, I'm gonna pitch another podcast. Um, uh, <laughs> this there's a woman named Danny Shapiro who is an author and found out very late in her life. Danny Shapiro found out through a DNA test that she did spontaneously with her husband. Mm-hmm. She found out that her father was not her biological father. That happened to a friend. Oh of mine. my gosh. And it opened up this reality of she was not uh you know her father was not her father it opened up this concept of family secrets she started doing a podcast that is one of my favorite podcasts she brings on guests who it it, the idea that that uh, every family has secrets is so true and when you start to hear other people's lives, for me it was cathartic it was cathartic because every family's got things they just and fascinating. Don't and, talk and if about
3: there's anything that to me, you know, we we sometimes fail to recognize about the modern age is that many of those family secrets had to do with with what was considered to be shameful, correct? Your ethnic identity or your sexuality. Yes. The idea in the modern world that we can be what we are, which is still, of course, under terrible assault. Generally speaking, it is one of the great accomplishments of our world, yeah. that our identity is nothing to hide.
2: Yeah. You know? mm. Danny Shapiro uses a term, a phrase. What, what is the podcast called, by the way, Robbie? What's the name? It's of called that? Family Secrets. Okay. It's called Family Secrets. That's the name. It's a right. f- fantastic podcast. She has a phrase she uses often that I love called the known unknown. And it's when mm. there's something going on and it, you don't know exactly what's off, but you know yeah. something's off.
1: Yeah. And then yeah.
2: when it's known, when you know, and you kind of go, oh, yeah. that was, I knew there was something. It made
3: suddenly my whole child. Everything life, makes it.
2: Why They
3: yes. always seem to have an interesting companionate relationship, but not one that ever seemed particularly physical or romantic. Why my father was always spending time in the city, not coming home. Why my mm. mother was such a loner in certain respects. I mm. mean, they they had a wonderful relationship on some levels. But it it there was always an absence. Did your
0: dad have siblings? My yeah. Dad
3: had a, a younger brother who was also gay, and an older brother who was a, who was a roisterer, drunken roisterer.
0: Wow, wow. So okay, three boys my, there. My dad ran
3: away ran, ran away from home, but he basically he hated his mother. Yeah. He emancipated himself at sixteen. He said, "I am not going to live in this household anymore," Whew. and to live with his aunt. He joined the Navy at, at 18 at, on his birthday in, in 1945.
0: Um, oh, so he saw action then? No, we, we saw he was a clerk typist. So he oh. saw, he saw he typing saw, action. He, the, saw type, uh, he saw a typewriter. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's interesting how we, uh, I, I think so many of us, we choose one of two ways to go with that, that influence of our, our childhood traumas or our childhood influences. We either choose to cling tighter to it because it, it gave us, gives us some comfort in some way. And so trying to recreate it or we completely reject it, you know, there's sort of this fork in the road where you kind of rebel in the opposite direction. If it's, yeah. if it's heavy religion that seems to have traumatized you in some way you go anti-religion or if it's.
3: Yeah. And, and I can see both of my parents having had certain traumas in their, in their childhood childhoods. I've had a relatively untraumatic childhood. I mean, my parents loved me. I had a good education. They were reasonably well off. I never felt, you know, in any way um, that I couldn't express myself freely or be who I wanted to be. That's a great gift. Yeah, Yeah, it was a great gift. And they, early on, when I expressed an interest in drama, were nothing
0: but supportive. When you moved to Weston, Connecticut, that was at the age of nine. And at that point, you jumped into a new school. You have a lisp and a Southern accent. You're a frail kid, and you jumped into drama immediately. Or what? What? I, how that, did that, that happen?
3: Never entered my mind. I I love to read, mm-hmm. and because of that, they had a mandatory audition for the school class play in the fifth grade. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. You had to audition for it. You had to audition. You had to read for it. Okay. Everybody in 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 the you know fifth grade. And I was a big reader, so I could read with some degree of, you know, verve. Yes, and I was half the Scrooge, and so oh for, wow, That was a pale, lisping, four-eyed Scrooge, nonetheless. <laughs> oh, so for one, brief, with a southern I, accent, well, yeah. how yeah. he ended up in I, London, we
2: don't yeah, know. There
0: no poor I don't know what houses. <laughs> <no> houses. <laughs>
3: um. So time Tiny
1: Tim. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> tiny
3: Tim. <laughs> well, um, I was working with a speech therapist to try and eliminate both the accent and the lisp. You're being I, serious? You, oh, you yeah, absolutely. Really? Wow. now was your parents? Or You asked your parents, were, parents were, for this? They, or they, they were, they were astute. Yes. They, they realized, certainly the lisp, you know, yeah. they wanted to grapple with. Right. And in the course of going to speech therapy and also just, you know, you're living in a world where you're going to imitate people who don't sound like you yeah. and, oh so i lost the southern accent pretty quickly okay lisp right. took a lot longer but in any case playing scrooge uh that brief shiny moment of glory when all of a sudden you go from being the class pariah to the class star and then it ended and i went back
0: to being the class pariah and i thought oh i get it ah uh, <laughs> but that's when i gotta do, the, I gotta do more of that yes problem. that that is when the acting bug bit you then when you played yeah, scrooge well, Yes. I don't
3: know if it was the acting bug. I think it might have been the, the you know, let's not get beat up at recess
0: bug. Right. The non-pariah bug. The non-pariah be, yeah. bug. I okay. never got beat
3: up. I, I was too tart-tongued. The bullies didn't really want to get into, you know. Really? Beating.
0: Your defenses I, were were your your I'm daggerous totally, uh, totally, comments. Totally, oh my gosh. totally. I was never. I was a
3: weenie uh, physically, but I never backed down from anybody because I just I just
0: wouldn't. So you you were one of those kids that had comebacks for anything or and any, any situation. You Pretty were much. yeah. You were Pretty verbal well. kung fu master. And I, I
3: would occasionally <laughs> get in get into a fight because somebody would like it. Why do you Right. But generally speaking, I wasn't really bullied. Right. However, I was a class pariah. I, I don't yeah. know, particularly, you know, loathed me for my own qualities, but generally speaking, nobody was going to approach me. So this this period of glory. And after that, I asked my parents if I could take acting class. And they found a couple, Ed and Dorothy Bryce, who used to be on the guiding light. Oh. Alcoholism derailed their careers. Oh. they started teaching acting classes. Uh, <sighs> that's so
2: great. That's a great move to kids. <laughs> when you can't fit in because you're you're
3: a drunk they, they with went, adults let you go can still teach a bunch of kids they went <laughs> on the wagon if their if their son Scott Bryce is listening to this Scott you know I adore Ed and Dorothy okay. long gone okay. now but they were wonderful teachers of mine Aww. I studied with them for a number of years and they actually had they had a, a, an acting class that kind of allowed kids to study with adults
1: oh wow so kind okay. of
3: cool because yeah. i was not taking a kid's acting class right i was a kid in acting class yeah wow. yeah huh that but said, i mean my parents would never have let me you know like go into new york and try to audition so i right. was doing it because i liked it not because i had professional community
2: work. theater just yeah. as a hobby yeah. it was your passion it was your hobby but they that
3: yeah.
0: was yeah that was yeah, yeah. i it certainly I... Yeah, but I feel like this couple was, they were very influential in your development as they, a young actor. Were. You know, they I were. mean, if, without I, them, you wouldn't be here, I feel. And they're on
3: My wall. I, uh, you know, no, they were, they were lovely, lovely, lovely folks, lovely people. And, right. and,
2: and Weston, just so people listening know, Weston, Connecticut is near Westport, Connecticut. And is that Fairfield County? So Fairfield, Fairfield, County. Fairfield County, Connecticut is on the border of New York state and not far. It's a, it's a bedroom community for a lot of people that, that Long work Island, in the city. Long
3: Island Sound, you take the L-A-R-R end of the city. My dad was a commuter for years. So Uh-oh. yeah, was in and it's, out of the city growing up, was a big Mets
0: fan, you know. Some so even of, though it's in Connecticut, it's more like a New York suburb? Is yeah, what you this
3: kind is. of, a lot of people in that part okay. of the world kind of call themselves, you know, quasi New Yorkers. New
0: Yorkers. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. It's got its own kind
2: of country New England charm to where John grew up. Yeah,
3: it's where it was in
0: and, and,
3: uh, and yeah. uh, Fred Nethel, uh in, in the later years of I of Lucy. That's where they moved.
0: Yeah. So, so how long does it take in public transport to get from West End to New York City to Manhattan?
3: Uh, it's about 30 minutes to the train station, and then the train is maybe 45 minutes. 45 minutes, yeah. So not bad at all. Really close. No, it's not a
2: bad commute. And it was a very, like Paul Newman lived out there, I think. Oh.
3: Betty Davis, she turned the hose on me when I was a child. (laughs) Are you serious? Out my yard.
2: Fairfield County had really strong ties to that old, a lot of entertainment was based on that community, you know, sitcoms, Dick Van Dyke show, things like that. They were all sort of, they they sort of lived in that world. It wasn't a California it's it was, just it Cheever
3: country you know i mean if yes. anybody's a fan of john cheever you know a lot of his a lot of his books were were written about the bedroom communities of new york people are always taking the train yeah. usually getting it. my dad i have to say would be like hi hey, dad how you doing Spent a little time in the bar car coming home tonight <laughs> Back when they had a bar car, a bar mm-hmm. car. got rid of the bar car oh my god I, uh, yeah. I okay. love Fairfield
2: County. I love where you grew up. I, When I lived in New York City, that was always a, a fantasy of mine to yeah. somehow move out to Fairfield County and go into the city. I, I worked in plays in New York City with actors, older actors, that had done that, that had moved oh. out to Connecticut, and that's where they lived, and they came in, did their Broadway show. No, I mean, and the, the only problem oh. is it's,
3: it's white, 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 white with a little dash of white. You know, yeah West, oh,
2: wow West, very preppy West West super
3: etiquette was you know i mean this is what you don't really realize when you're growing up i mean yeah. you just you don't necessarily have your finger on the pulse of of the world yeah i i didn't know until i was much older that i led a privileged existence but i also led a blinkered existence yes
1: yeah, yeah. You know?
0: very I mean, little yeah.
3: uh great, great public school with, right as far as i can recall two african-american students
0: really wow so ethnic diversity almost nil um what about asian students was there was there an asian student in your school no maybe you know maybe wow
3: well and i won't say the world has changed because i suspect if you went to Western connecticut you would probably still find the same you know this this pretty
2: close i don't i bet it, it it feels a bit timeless there
3: Wow. Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Jay, his name Lucas, I think, uh, that was about the um, wonderful, wonderful nonfiction writer. It was about the uh, Boston, the years in which Boston tried to desegregate.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And one of his fundamental arguments is the North kind of kind of like is gets very sort of like, oh, the Southerns you know.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
3: but r- racism is an American disease. It manifests yes. itself differently in the North, in the South you're you know robbie you're you're yes. living right next door to a person of, of another uh, the rules the codes the strictures but but in in the north people this is gross generalization can tend to have more more you know um how do i say this progressive attitudes because they live in a community in which there are no people that it's
2: they're... not challenged yeah <laughs> there's not there's no challenges for them to their yeah. their you know whatever their mode. lifestyle they their existence claim, their yeah they want to claim a, a, a position but they don't have to actually defend handle, it <laughs> live it they don't have to or live it, it. yeah yeah
0: That's,
3: wow it's okay. wonderful another book called the big sort and this guy's argument is that every 10 years we should treat the country like a blanket we should pick it up by the four corners and toss everybody in the air and then they would come down and they would have to kind of like learn how to get along figure with it out yeah i love And historically, he says, "Look at all the eras in American history. For instance, when the when that happened, Second World War started. People had to fan out all over across the country. It changed the nature of everything.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, it's true. You graduate from high school, and at that point, did you go to college immediately? And if you did, was it drama?
3: Absolutely, was opposed to going to college. I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to study. I wanted to do walkabout. I wanted to chase girls."
1: Mm.
3: anything i wanted to do none of it had to do with going to school wow i was a a shitty student i was a terrible student i got by yeah because i'm I'm pretty quick-witted but i i I never liked to study as soon as somebody assigned a book it was like i'm not reading that (laughs) (laughs) Uh... odd rebelliousness in me yeah parents were like you're going to college and i although at the time i thought well what if I'm not? What if I it's like, I, I'll just go off and be by myself in New York and I'll get a job. I didn't seem like that was an option at somehow mm-hmm. I, I kind of went, all right, then I'm going to a girl's school with no grades. <laughs> so I Lawrence, where'd you go? Bennington. Bennington. Oh, so I, so I did. I did my research. What are the what are the schools that have more girls and boys and that don't have grades and don't make you take shit you don't want to take? And I and I only applied to those schools. Wow. I Bennington was a is a scholar. So Bennington paid my paid for it. So I, I I got more or less a free ride, and I chased girls, and I didn't have grades, and I only took acting, and I got out in four years.
0: So what was your major then, when you were in Beddington? Theater. It was theater. Okay. I was going
3: to go the double major. I studied, again, I, I don't know if you're, do you know who Bernard Malamud is? mm uh, Sadly, and I a bizarrely neglected writer, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. He was oh. up there, fellow and roth as the three big jewish american writer heavy rates he wrote the natural the
2: mm-hmm. book okay
3: yep yep on the national book award for the fixer wrote the assistant one of the most beautiful novels you'll ever read he was huh. my teacher wow like studying acting with Olivier when you're 18 years old, so I thought I guess I'm not a writer.
2: Bennington is known for producing yeah, some of the greatest writers. Uh, yeah, Donna
3: Tartt uh, got is a Bennington yeah. job. Latham briefly, uh, briefly went to Bennington. Jonathan
2: huh. Latham, one of my favorite writers, yeah. Fortress what? of Solitude. What? Actually, Fortress uh,
3: of Solitude has a section set at Bennington. Not if you've read that one. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, that's right yeah i knew very well that he was he what uh, he what parties he was talking about the dress to get laid parties at benny mm-hmm. uh, which i never i never got laid no matter what i wore
2: uh, easton, did we say brett easton ellis <laughs> went there as well
3: right i don't count him brett yeah. oh went there sorry don't count him um no offense uh yeah no, no they had they have for years one of the you know biggest and most successful summer writing workshop programs oh yeah for- uh. A lot wow. of great writers and a lot of great teachers. George Garrett was a teacher of mine. Uh, another sadly neglected writer, Nick Delbanco was a teacher of mine. I, and I, I I, could have graduated with a double major. I, I had to write a, a um, you know, I had to do a thesis or mm-hmm. I had to write a novel, basically, or a collection. It's like, yeah, I don't need to be a double major.
0: Well, of all your teachers <laughs> in college, who was the most important? And
3: Nikki Martin. And why? You probably know Robbie Nicholas Martin, the the Mm -hmm. director, he passed away a couple of years ago. He, at that time, was uh, kind of persona non grata as an actor. He'd had Mm. a a drinking problem. Mm. And uh, his friend, Leroy Logan, who was the head of a drama department at uh, Bennington, asked him to come and teach. And he came and was a wonderful teacher, a, a dear human being, and became a dear friend, and became a director. And his first, the first show he ever directed was Under Milkwood that I was in. Oh, wow. um, Camino Real, which I was in. It wasn't like I needed inspiration. I mean, I pretty much knew I was at a certain point. So once it was clear I wasn't going to be a writer, I was going to have to be an actor because I don't have any different skills other than that. (laughs) So it wasn't like I needed somebody but i uh, he he was possibly the person I, I i most i got the most out of as a teacher what was the
2: what were the things if you can articulate them that nicholas martin sort of inspired you like when you think of him as a creative inspiration
3: so much i think of what makes a teacher compelling in your in your memory is is simply the the nature of what the personality was and how you attached to it and how mm-hmm. much you invested in it but if there's anything that i took away that you know i think this is true for actors it takes years and years and years before you fully understand it is the primacy of action the nature of how how every every moment you are actively engaged in the pursuit of something that you want or need Mm -hmm. the idea that as long as you're honest in the active moment you're not in your head you're not worrying about trying to conjure an emotional reaction you're not worried about trying to um, manifested behavior, you're simply in pursuit of mm-hmm. something. Mm. I, I think that was probably my biggest discovery as a young actor, even though it took me many years, I think,
2: to kind of yeah. really
3: absorb it fully the nature of what it meant to be active on the beat. You yeah. know, beat to beat, active on the beat, active on the beat, active on the beat. Mm-hmm. He was also Meisner influenced, so mm-hmm. probably other thing that was most important for me to learn is that within that space of being active on the beat you also have to be wide open to the reality of the other person's behavior and let it affect you yes Mm. those two things can ever come together in your work you're you're probably going to be okay
0: yeah agreed I'd love that
2: yeah I think you're right those those inspirational mentors that we have in life often we attach to their personality yeah, as as much as technique or ideas or any of that, I, yeah. there was there was a high school mentor of mine, Linda Wise. I've mentioned her before in, in mm-hmm. this podcast. Linda was uh, like she was a Tennessee Williams character. She was uh-huh. kind of a heavy set woman, big personality. She smoked cigarettes in a cigarette holder that went out two feet from her face. Oh my god! Always had these amazing berets on and wore these kind of house dress, oh you god. know, homemade things. And her personality, and she lived in this Victorian home in this tiny town called Conyers, George, outside of Atlanta. (sighs) And in the front of the house, she had a wine and cheese shop. And she would have these salons on Sundays where she'd invite people just to hang and drink wine and cheese and talk about literature and art and ideas. And, you know, so to describe how Linda inspired me, it was this, this... thirst for life and an experience in life in a way more than you know a, a particularly
3: you know creative acting process i don't yep. know yep. I, yeah N- nicky had just he he was the possibly the funniest human being i've ever met i just adored his absolute um uh, mastery of any situation yeah. he simply was it was like you know having kitty carlisle be your or mom or <laughs> be your teacher you know right it felt like you were directly connected to some aspect of what you always read about when you were growing up you know how yeah. to be new york stage the Algonquin mm-hmm. circle he mm-hmm. represented something to me that felt very um you know uh, very significant about that few. Mind you, I never got to actually be on the Algonquin Roundtable or ever
0: appeared on a New York stage. <laughs> so you finished Bennington. And after that, you made the, the, the trip to Seattle. Where did you go well, after Bennington? I,
3: I, I had been, I spent a fair amount of time traveling. They had sort of a Bennington abroad program. So I got to go and spend some time in London and study with teachers affiliated with RADA.
0: Oh, that's and awesome.
3: Act some time on Bennington also had something called the non-resident term. In the winter months, you were mm-hmm. supposed to go out and get a gig, primarily because they couldn't afford to heat the joint. And so exactly. they are charging you money to go get a job, and they called that your education. It's like, what a racket. So <laughs> I managed to convince them to allow me to bop around the world and write about it as part of my fulfillment of my writing. Look
0: obligate. at you. Look at you.
3: Oh, I spent almost a year wow. out of the country. And when I came back, my last term at Bennington, when I graduated, my parents had, had hit the road when I went off to college. They sold their house in Connecticut. I hadn't seen him for two or three years. Wow. They settled in Seattle. So I thought, I'll ah. go visit. My best friend and I, Chris Weigel, another wonderful theater person, used to be involved in running the Huntington in Boston, dear mm-hmm. pal. We hitchhiked across the country back when you could hitchhike. Oh, my gosh. So we managed to get to Seattle. We didn't have a dime. But, oh. uh-oh, I had to think about this. How am I going to get back to New York? I'll just hang out with my parents for a while. I didn't realize Seattle had a fairly vibrant theater scene. Yeah. I started auditioning. Long story short, I ended up spending 13 years in Seattle.
2: By the way, hitchhiking, to go back to hitchhiking, oh. so yeah. we talked to Frakes a few weeks ago. Frakes also hitchhiked uh across the country but he was arrested oh. he was a, he was arrested because it was illegal he and his buddy got thrown into jail and oh. spent the night in jail but I, he said the cops felt kind of bad because they seemed like good kids and oh. they fed him well and they took him right back to where they had picked him up hitchhiking in the he end dropped him so, off and said continue
0: oh, yeah just yeah. don't hitchhike from here
2: um just don't let us catch you doing yeah. this again we
3: got yeah. as far as chicago and and we hit chicago it was like okay we don't have any dough we got to get from Chicago to Seattle.
2: That's a long way.
3: Like I don't, I don't know how confident I feel about that. So we scraped up enough dough to get Greyhound tickets. But we did get from Vermont to Chicago, and it was a circuitous route. We went down the eastern seaboard. Yeah, it was a great time. I mean, I wow. my time with Chris traveling across the country with Chris, one of the highlights of my life. He's yeah. six foot six, and he oh, weighs God. about nine pounds. He's like thin as a rail. <laughs> oh
1: God,
3: I I be. So we traveled together we had these little ridiculous signs you know like going south with with a picture of a of a uh, you know cocktail glass and uh, <laughs> and i think people just thought two more
0: non-threatening bozos could not exist
3: uh, so we got picked up all the time
0: chris because did, the old you know, abbott and costello look that you guys had going yeah, on is it? that okay and chris would
3: always because you know you're still gonna get picked up by lunatics Yes. Chris would always pretend, if the driver seemed to be like nuts, Chris would always pretend to fall asleep. Be like, <laughs> <And> then, I get <laughs> one. You said, have to deal you with got, them. Yeah. yeah you got I'd have to burden the burden a
0: conversation. Robbie, did I tell you this? My dad, when he was a college student, when he was a graduate student, picked up a hitchhiker who then proceeded to pull a knife out on him. What? Yeah. And he said, um, give me all your money. And my dad pulled out, he had $4 on him. So this was 1966, yeah. right? and they got and he goes well this is all i have he goes well give it all to me and he my dad goes but i don't this is my lunch. I have to eat lunch and the guy goes, fine, take two dollars back and I'll take the other two. And then he like, <laughs> <and> then he, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, let me off here. and so he he robbed my dad of half of his money, but of my dad $2. was a, of two dollars yeah. instead of all four, but he was that was nice up. of him it was, was nice of him, of him so. and also yeah. it was nice that he didn't stab my dad either. so yeah that's you know, true because yeah. I I
3: this is a weird hitchhiking story. I was also hitchhiking in England and the guy picked me up in Rye and we started gabbing and where are you from blah 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 i said western connecticut he said oh i lived in western connecticut for a while and i said oh where'd you live and he said lila clane and i said i lived on lila Lane. what and, and he said you lived on lila Lane. and i said yeah i lived on number 13 lila clane he said the house at the end of the road of the long driveway and i said yeah he said i lived in that house what no. <laughs> That's weird
2: wow it, it, if it had
3: been me like you know if he was just saying that to get in my pants which of course everybody wanted to do at the time but yeah. he was providing and still do by the way, still do. Do, still do I, I, everybody wants I, to get in your pants you gotta be kidding that's
2: crazy he
3: had lived there like 15 years earlier Oh my God. what <laughs> are the
0: odds no, in the, england
3: no why england that's yeah. crazy
0: wow. when you did go abroad other than london you said you were at rada which was probably an amazing experience right you had
3: no, not so much. Okay. They have very different, you know, I mean, theirs is so technique oriented.
0: Where else did you travel besides England? You said you uh, went to multiple places. We
3: went to, uh, we started in Ireland. We yeah. took to uh, Dublin. We bicycled across to Galway. We took a fishing boat to the Aran Islands. We went from Ireland to Spain. Mm. Uh, we went as far as, uh, we went to Barcelona, Sevilla, Granada, up through Madrid. We went yeah. to Venice for the uh, we, we definitely wanted to get to venice for the um carnival ah it was one of the highlights of my life wow uh, wow then i met a woman there and we i left my pal because the gal and i were going to have an, we had an affair in paris uh wow. traveled to southern france together she was australian she had to split and then i went to, uh, back to england and spent some time in the southeast uh, southeast coast of England.
0: So, the pal that you were with is the same person that you hitchhiked to Seattle with? No, nope,
3: different pal. No, different, was, pal. different pal. Another pal of mine from college. Okay. Who was built like a brick Michael Rogers, the handsomest guy. It was a little debilitating because everywhere we went, especially in Spain, yeah. all the Spanish senoritas would follow him going, Oh, El well, Rupio, bloppy, bloppy. Be like, am <laughs> oh, my chopped liver. Like, <laughs> we had to split up. It's like, I, I, you know what? You go your way. He drew too
0: much attention. Get that guy Uh, out of here! Oh my goodness.
2: So this is the so that European tour is what you wrote your thesis or your college paper about. Yeah,
3: it 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 turned out that that was not going. That was that turn. It turned out I thought that was going to be the what would allow me to get a double major. They said no, no. This fulfills your non-resident term. Oh (laughs) no. Apply it to you know, in essence. Every job was supposed to be kind of in the further fulfillment of of a degree you were taking. This will further fulfill your degree in the English department, but you don't get to get off of having a thesis. So it was like, fine.
2: Oh, Uh, man. Do you still have that paper? What was the takeaway when you try to capture a trip like that, which sounds incredible?
3: My primary goal was to be unexpurgated. And in part, it was also because my parents so graciously, I mean, I I had a free ride at Bennington. But nonetheless, my parents were fronting, you know, certain costs, and they certainly fronted that trip. And yeah. and I, I thought, you know, maybe one of the best what you're talking about when you're talking about writing something for your kids. Yeah. I thought possibly the best thing I could do for my parent was to say, I love you enough to not be guarded. So mm-hmm. I won't write it from the point of view of this is how it's sanitized for presentation to my dear sainted parents. This will be what, you know, this will be what happened.
2: No secrets. No family secrets.
3: So I wrote about, you know, everything that you feel when you're on the road. It's like, where am I mm. gonna store some hashish? Ah, how come I can't get laid? Why am I tra- traveling with the sun god here? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read this.
0: Yeah. Would you allow me to can I can can we read? Can I read this, please? We're gonna to read that. We're it. gonna
2: publish a link
3: on the podcast next, yeah. but <laughs> I wish we could. I, have to, I will tell you this, when the first time when my pal and I, we, we went through Paris from Italy, uh, from uh, Ireland before we traveled south to yeah. Spain. First time I we checked into our hotel in Paris, there was like this, this, what I took to be a wine cooler in the bathroom. It's like, this is weird. Why would they put a wine in the, the bidet? But, you know, my pal and I, we kind of looked at it. We thought, well, this is so strange. What could it possibly be for? It has to be a wine cooler. So we stuck our white wine in there. And each day we'd come back, and the white wine would be on the dresser. And we go, "Why did they take the white wine out of the cooler?" Out of the, <laughs> the cooler. <laughs> it, it finally, at some point, somebody said, "That is where you wipe your ass. It is where you wash your ass." Like, <laughs> wow.
1: Oh oh. Who oh.
3: oh, no. We left the chamber, and made a big tip. <laughs> oh, <living>. the, <laughs> the wine cooler. Yeah, that's amazing. And we
0: thought at the time, it's like it's not very cold.
2: So, you yeah, thought that broken? You,
0: you, wait a minute. You guys thought the bidet was where you would put the wine. And, so, and you'd turn the you?
2: water on and it would cool. It would chill the wine.
3: Yeah. Oh my God. Like, makes, I thought yeah. the French love wine. What else could it possibly <laughs> be? I had never heard of the concept of so, the no.
0: additional, additional cleansing. cleansing. Yeah. yeah. Thing for the bottom. No. So, this is in your paper, too. Oh, yeah. I want to read this paper. Soap. I'm this so, like great paper. I'm so serious. I'm going to come. I can't wait to. I'm coming to your house tomorrow. It
3: was more of a, more of a journal. I mean, it wasn't... Uh, I know, would. Yeah.
0: I, I, I don't care. I, I want to I read this. This is uh, going to be...
3: I haven't read it in a year.
0: 40 there you years. go. We can read it together.
2: As far as your acting career.
0: Oh, right. That. That <laughs> part.
2: So you're in Seattle, yeah. which did have a vibrant theater scene. Yeah. And you spent 13 years there doing theater.
3: I started a theater company. Yeah, tell
2: us about that time.
3: The big flagship theater there was the Seattle Rep. There were also yeah. at the time was ACT, the Empty Space. There were there was enough theater to get by. There was enough industrial film, commercial work, occasional TV or film to make a living. Um there was a point in my life when I thought this is not satisfying to me and I either have to A move to New York, B move to Los Angeles or C figure out some way to do something here that feels more more fulfilling
1: mm-hmm.
3: a woman named Jane Jones introduced this concept to some of us presenting fiction verbatim on stage which we put some stories up I loved it I've always been a big reader so I thought this would be great but you're gonna need a shitload of people to come together to put stories up every month in a workshop presentation to figure out what is the best and then the best of the best you take on the road you tour and then you do in then you do you know put it up for bigger audiences. We called that that shambolic entity Book It. And oh, wow. uh, I ran it along with some other folks, including Jane and Myra, who eventually took it over when I left for about five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big, big part of my life. I learned a lot doing it. I learned a lot about how to pursue the business of the business because I was mm-hmm. an artistic director and you got to figure out how to, you know, keep moving mm-hmm. your head. Um, my my marriage ended and uh, I was also teaching.
0: Was the Intimon Theater already in existence in Seattle oh, yeah. at that point? Okay. Yep. All right.
3: Intimon, the group, Tacoma Actors Guild. There there were maybe 10, 11, you know, equity houses and, mm-hmm. and a number of, of fringe houses. Got it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Seattle had a, has always had a great theater scene there, a theater community, mm. very highly respected. Yeah. Seattle yeah. Rep is the most famous.
0: You got divorced at that. And then after that,
3: yeah the divorce kind of was like um okay you know those those lines in your life where it's like if not now when yeah and i I realized that while i i got a lot out of being an artistic director it's demanding it's grueling i i was not making any money it was going to be years before the theater company was going to be able to make enough money for me to be able to pay myself i I really made my money teaching acting i taught meisner for a number of years Uh Uh, just thought you know i don't want to teach anymore Hmm. at which point it was like what do I do? And I, I decided. You know, I always liked the limited experience I had doing film and TV. I like that. I like those mediums. I like not having to worry about how you justify the performance choice to hit the back wall.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah,
3: <laughs> challenge of theater. Uh so I moved to LA in
0: 1995, and that's when Robbie and I started our show. That's when our show premiered in 95, actually.
2: When you made that move, did you feel like it was a smooth transition? Did you immediately have success, or were there
3: It took two years which i think you know relatively speaking i mean the odd thing i've always said to to younger actors is is the the experience of running book it was was incredibly valuable because when you are running a business you 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 simply have no choice when it comes to the actions if you have to pay the rent you have to pay the rent if you have to uh I have a conversation with a company member. That's hard. You have to have that conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming here. I felt like what I was able to bring to the table was simply a, a realistic appraisal of how do you go about getting a career going? And what are the tough things you're going to have to do that other people don't want to do? I was mm-hmm. never shy about going in and saying, I got to have a conversation with you, agent. This is not working out and here's what I need. And here's what I'm not getting good for you. Mm. So, so to a certain extent, uh, the first two years were learning the city, kind of getting to understand what was required to get to know the casting directors. Are workshops valuable? Are showcases valuable? How do you mm-hmm. How do you kind of you know? Mm-hmm. And I had to make a hard decision, which was to say, I'm I'm not going to pursue theater. Mm. Because it felt to me. I've had a lot of different conversations with people down the years about this. It felt to me that the friends I had who were trying to be theater actors and film and TV actors were, were kind of, you know, falling between two stools. Yeah. I found if I was doing a play, I, I worked for a while at noise within here locally that when I'd get home, if I had an audition and I had to prepare material, I'd be beat. I would just in yeah. a rehearsal or I'd done a show. I was mm-hmm. probably not going to go in that next day Back then frequently you had those next day auditions mm-hmm. yeah. some kind of shit little language. I thought I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put my best foot forward. I've just got to make this my raison on debt.
0: Mm-hmm. So very smart of you. Did you
3: know a lot of people when you came to LA? Yeah, fair number and I make friends pretty easily. Um, yeah yeah no, I, I knew a fair number of people. I mean there was a whole contingent of folks who had been moving down from Seattle in part because Seattle, Lost that limited amount of film, TV, commercial work it did have to Canada, yeah. and a lot of people went FICOR, so they were able to have a lot more. Um, they were able to hire non union actors, it just became impossible unless you know you had a, a really cushy day job or or you were really riding the cream of the cream on the theater circuit to make mm-hmm. a living. So, a lot of people started moving down here. Um, mm-hmm. so I knew a fair number, folks. so you
2: knew a fair number. You you talk about when you were running the theater company, artistic director, and, and learning the practical elements of running a theater and how to have hard conversations, things like that. Do you think that helped you when you're on set now and you've got a creative difference with a director or the material or writer or even another actor, you know, blocking a scene?
3: Yeah, I mean... I- To a certain extent, I mean, as you know, I think the biggest accommodation you have to make to be on a set is that the clock is the clock. You don't have time to have the kind of conversation you might have if you are in rehearsal for a play. So if you have a solution, great. If you don't have a solution, then you have to figure out how to make the direction you're getting function. And I'm generally not somebody who is going to engage in a shitload of conversation unless I'm very clear about what I think might make it better.
2: I remember that I was directing an episode and there was one day where I had fallen way behind. And the very last scene of the day was, I think you and Scott and Jolene um, in your lab where you make a huge discovery. And it was like a two and a half page scene. It was a big scene. Uh And I remember Mary Howard had come down and I was, easily two hours or more behind. Mm. And we had thought this, this long scene was going to take three hours. And we, we had basically 45 minutes left in our day. But as you said, the clock was ticking. And I remember going to you and Scott and Jolene and saying, if you guys can help me work this out, we'll do this scene as a wonder get out of here. Do you remember that scene? No. Oh, I remember, (laughs) I remember it vividly. And it, it was one of the first times where I had to abandon my pl- plan completely mm. and sort of get to the heart of what the scene needed to be for the story. And then think of a way to do that in 45 minutes, period. That was, that was the goal. And we did it as a handheld oneer and you guys mm. shot it. And we got it done in 45 minutes and wrapped on time. I couldn't believe it.
1: Mm. It was, <laughs> it was, it was
3: like... funny. I, I don't, I don't remember that. I, the, the you know we have our the memories we have as actors are so uh you know are so rooted in like one horrible memory I have from that particular show is I had gone out drinking and carousing the night before, and I came home, and this is back when the pages would be delivered at the door. Yes and there were new pages. And it was two two new scenes with me. Yeah. With all the words. <laughs> I didn't even think I was working the next yeah. day. And, you know, I was like... <laughs> and I came in that next day, and I got through the first scene okay. Oh. But the second scene shot late in the day, Roxanne yeah. was directing. Oh. there was, you know, you know, the show we were on, it was some of the scenes with the gobbledygook. It was oh, like, yeah. You know, oh, my God. Was, you know, some from space alien species that I'd never heard of, and I, I was like, take 12. The Mata- what are they? Matoxels. So... <laughs> What are they? The Matoxels. The whole crew was going, metoxyls. Metoxyls, say it. <laughs> and finally Rock said, all right, forget. right, we're not getting this scene. <laughs> oh, that's, gosh. At, that
2: rarely, <laughs> if I... Rarely you, happened. I mean, that's just circumstance. You were my hero on the, the scene I was describing. I've recapped that scene for others since on, you know, and other directors on you know the clock is the clock as you said earlier yeah. and sometimes reality is reality and you've got to find a
3: way well and you know i mean we're always it's like it is it, even on that show there were times when it's sort of like somebody would say i i i, I think uh, in this scene uh uh my my character would have you know a sippy cup um so it's like what yeah yeah i really think in this scene i should have a sippy cup like I, I get get a get him a sippy cup. Well, we can't find a sippy cup. We could. Would you? How about a glass? No, it got to be a sippy cup. I. I it's like yeah. You know, if, if yeah. it's not something big, if it's not yeah. central, yeah. if it's not, and if you can't figure out something to offer that is going to help solve the scene or or shift the thinking on a scene, then it's better just to. I think you know. I, I tend to not, although I'm pretty voluble. I I tend to not talk too much unless I really think there's something Mm. that I can be pithy about. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Robbie, in the end, I just want to ask Robbie this real quick. Uh, In the end, when you watch that episode that you directed, that one is absolutely fine. Right. It it doesn't stand out. It's it's better
2: than fine. It's better than my original idea. It works out. The episode needed that energy, the scene, because it was a turning point in in the story. Yeah. Uh, it was a discovery. It was putting together sort of yeah. connecting dots and saying, right. There's our answer. It was an yeah. aha scene.
3: Yeah. You know the you know the bishop's wife, the Cary Grant? There's a scene in the Bishop's wife where it's just like it's just the master and, and actors slowly enter the frame mm. from from various various offstage points until yeah. the frame is filled up with Cary Grant and David Niven and Loretta Young and and you know two or three other the dog and, and it's, it's, all, it's about their arrival and the playing of the scene and the camera never we don't have any close ups at all. And it's like you know a fairly lengthy scene and it's just I miss that. I miss that too. <laughs> we just live in a world in which if you don't have a gajillion cuts, yeah <laughs> it's not considered interesting enough for an audience.
2: Well, what I loved about the scene that we did and you guys made it work was that it it hinged on the energy of your performances. And you guys, you know, knew the words. That was a day where you knew your words inside and out. And oh, everybody that did. One day,
3: I didn't know my words. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but everybody sort of rose to the challenge and allowed our real circumstances of filmmaking to fuel the imaginary circumstances of the scene which is we need an urgent solution to this problem and what how can we rethink this in the scene that's what the scene was about and it all came together beautifully so.
3: our show got better i thought towards the end because urgency was put in in a way that i kind of thought was lacking generally in our show in the mm-hmm. first first and second season
2: Mm. I didn't do a lot with you guys, maybe three or four episodes in total, but I always enjoyed coming over there. It was a great group.
3: It was one episode you and I did get to work on a lot was sort of about a a, a fellow from the species that we were perpetually at odds with and Yes that was lovely. I, I so enjoyed it that was probably it was one instance where I really got to work with you.
0: Yeah all right well we have uh we've thoroughly enjoyed having you on and hearing your stories and filling in some blanks that we've had. And so we want to thank you, John, for being on the podcast today. You're a wonderful, wonderful guest. So thank you.
3: Thank you for having me. And I can't
2: believe both of
0: our fathers worked for GE
2: and we moved around every two years.
3: Oh, 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 I should probably close by saying everything I said, tissue of lies. (laughs) Yes. In fact, if you wanted to call the episode tissue of lies. That, that is the title of your autobiography, I think. <laughs> tissue less, actually, it's suitably rumpled, but tissue live and...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Suitably rumpled? Is that what you said? Oh,
3: I love suitably that.
2: rumpled. Yes. Okay. Thank you, John. It was great. Yeah. So great to hear your stories and and uh, things and I never come, knew. I'll
3: come back to talk about the Hollywood Food Coalition. Yes,
0: when yeah. when, when it when it comes time, we could do the Hollywood stories.
2: Food Coalition is needs its own episode because. There's lots to talk about there. That's a huge,
3: huge part of my life. But I know uh, it is.
2: Yeah, I know it is. Well, uh, for those that don't get to hear the Hollywood Food Coalition special episode that we will do down the road. Just remember, that's really important to John.
0: What's the web address? Hofoco.org.
3: There you go. Hofoco.org. As opposed to the whole pan can address. (laughs) I know. Okay. Ho F-O-C-O, Hollywood Food Coalition, HOFOCO.org.
0: .org. Yeah. And yeah. we
3: will do Trek Talks 3
0: at some point. Yes, that is a charity very near and dear to John Billingsley's heart that everyone should definitely check out yeah. and Absolutely. donate and get involved. All right, for all of our Patreon patrons, please stay tuned for your bonus material.